I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Bejan. And I'm your other host, Marco Poupard. Once upon a time... In a faraway land known as Stars Hollow, Connecticut, a mother and daughter navigated the trials and tribulations of small town life. Today, we get to talk about a show that seems to come back on everybody's radar about like September 21st, uh, just because it is like peak fall goals. And that show is Gilmore Girls. And here to join us is the amazing Meredith Lynch. Meredith is a content creator, a TikTok um, star, just someone whose content I always enjoy and hot takes on pop culture I seem to come back for all the time. So welcome, Meredith. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And I, too, am an old millennial, so this is the perfect place for me to be. I feel like I'm with my people. (laughs) You're safe. You're home. You can just relax. You don't have to pretend that you care about using the word Riz in casual conversation. Like, we are one. We are one. I love it. We have we have soft pants. We have face masks. It's it's a really safe space. (laughs) Guess what I have on? I have on not high-rise jeans. (gasps) Oh, wow. She's taking a risk. She's taking a risk. (laughs) I kind of love them. They're Ugh. so much more comfortable. Oh, this is – I like I, – you know what's funny, Meredith? After – right before we got on this pod, I put on jeans and I realized I had – I'd been wearing more mid-rise recently because they felt very high. I was like, are these my highest-waisted ones? Like, why do they feel so weird? And it was like the recent shift to a bit more mid-rise. Like, 
It's a, I don't know. It's like, I kind of love a high rise, but the mid rise, I can, I can, I can roll with it. I can roll with it. I will say the high rise is definitely a little more flattering on me, but the mid rise is a little, it's, we're going for comfort. Oh yeah. I don't, you feel like Lorelai that she was a mid rise girl. Oh, Oh, 100%. And a a boot cut. She didn't need a boot cut. She didn't love and wanted to wear immediately. I mean, honestly, I had had not rewatched the pilot in a really long time. And I was sort of taken aback by how tight her uniform at work is. I was like, is this Hooters or is this a B&B? Like, what are we doing? (laughs) It is so tight. How is she supposed to, like, move around and, like, check people in if she's got to, like, keep her arms to her side a majority of the time? Because it's, like, this little tiny tight skirt, like, pencil skirt at, like, an awkward, like, mid-knee length. Like, remember that length from 2001 that, like, didn't look good on anybody? But I was really surprised at how tight her little blazer was. The whole thing just kind of made me giggle. Yeah, I feel like they probably were like, okay, we know how a kid would dress at a ritzy private school, but we don't really know how like a working class mom would dress <laughs> uh, running the front desk at a moderately priced bed and breakfast. So like, let's just <laughs> let's slut her up a little bit. Let's slut her up. I, the other thing I noticed that this first season, um, and, and we'll get into more on the show in a second, but she, Lorelai Gilmore, loves a quote unquote vintage cowboy related t-shirt like oh. everything has a cowboy or a ranch or like an old diner margo and i've talked about this on the show before but once upon a time we really just loved fake business vintage tees <laughs> i mean as we noted uh in a patreon episode when we looked through all of the current clothing available for purchase on urban outfitters and realized that they were doing it yet again selling <laughs> shirts for like they're like i think we we were losing our minds over like some fake flower shop that's like in san francisco on a on two streets that never connect and we're like that's just that's just madness just look at a google please but they're bringing it back and and it's not even the the fake business of it all it's also the distressed of it all that yes so of its time yeah like a burnout (laughs) tank was really big Mm -hmm. for a while but she almost does like a burnout willie nelson tea and you're like yes okay (laughs) yeah it's a choice and she'll she'll sometimes wear the bandana on her hair on her head too so like she gives in to like full Willie Nelson. Like she could be at Farm Aid singing with a guitar. <laughs> and that basically was like, she could be a farmer in those clothes. <laughs> she really could. But she's just a, you know, casual dresser at the uh, Stars Hollow Inn. <laughs> I guess this is a perfect place to ask you both since we were kind of alluding to it earlier. What is both of your relationships uh, with Gilmore Girls? Meredith, feel free to to start. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of of the perfect age to get into Gilmore Girls because it came out around the time of Dawson's Creek and Felicity, and it kind of came on the heels of all of those shows. And I was really into the WB, which, you know, for the kids, that was what the CW (laughs) is. Uh, And so I really liked that. And so I, I really, I remember watching the early seasons of it and my it is without to be like wah wah it is the last my mother died when i was in high school it is the last show that i remember my mother being like i like this show 
So it always stands out to me. And she used to tell me that the that the relationship between Lorelai and her mother reminded her of her relationship with her mother. And since, um, you know, because of the trauma, and I don't really understand a lot of what happened between my mother and my grandmother, a lot of what I go off of is just things that I see in Gilmore Girls now through the eyes of an adult. <laughs> you, you bring up this thing where I like sometimes forget. So I barring her being a scab, I was obsessed with Drew Barrymore because she reminds me a lot of my cousin. So I sometimes like think of my cousin as being Drew Barrymore. It sounds like similarly, (laughs) you think of the relationship between your mom and your grandmother as almost like as you're watching Emily and Lorelai, you're watching a scene that happened between them in real life. Yeah, exactly. And so in a way, I found the show to be really comforting. And I will say, I related to Lorelai a lot more because like I was a little bit of like I was a terrible student. I was like kind of a hot mess and I couldn't relate to Rory. I was like, (laughs) you like doing your homework? Like (laughs) that's lovely, but that will never be me. And so I knew that even then. But I did feel like it was a show that was a release. There was no 9-11 in Stars Hollow. That's true. Very true. What about you, Margot? I mean, Meredith, I think you and I have like a lot of um, crossover with our relationship with Gilmore Girls because, I mean, my mom is still with us, but it was like one of the last shows she and I like watched together, you know, because I was in high school. It was like perfect time, perfect place. It was like a nice show. It was like the last like lighthearted because, you know, then after that, the next show I can remember the two of us watching, but not together together was Mad Men, which is not the same (laughs) as Gilmore Girls. But um, I, I really related a lot to like the plot of the story because I grew up with the single mom and she had to work a lot of jobs and it was always sort of like a stressor to uh, have her to like pay my way and all of like the extracurriculars that I was really interested in I remember that feeling of like of I feel like Rory didn't watch her mom work as much as I watched my mom kind of like front row seat to like how parenting a kid really feels so in some ways Gilmore Girls felt like our little escape but I'll never forget how disappointed I was when I found out that Lorelai came from money because we do not come from money at all. And so um, me being like, oh, okay, all you have to do is like have dinner with your grandma once a week. Like I do that all day, baby. If that meant that I would, if that meant that I could like live a little bit more comfortably, I'm like, come on. So even now it's, it's, I can be, it's a little bit more laughable now, but at the time I remember feeling like a little bit betrayed but I also similarly always related way more to Lorelai because I'm like a hot mess that like talks very quickly and speaks in pop culture that people don't understand. And I'm like addicted to coffee. And uh, I'm always like pining over uh, some dude that I was friends with for a long time. So I related to all of that. And my, my best friend Val is a lot more like Rory. She's like always been the super smart one always was like the one that people were like oh she's going places and like I maybe you'll find an in one day and it's like cool thank you (laughs) but it was it's always been like a comfort watch like anytime I've dropped in on like a random episode there's something about I I, like I but this show is like one of the reasons I wanted to become a writer like the way that they speak to each other I always felt was so organic and you could just so get lost and like I just want to like live in the dialogue sometimes because it's like it's so funny it's so smart it's so witty um similarly like the Dawson's Creek made me want to like speak in a smarter way even if I didn't fully understand the words yet Gilmore Girls did the same thing to me and I think also shapes the way that I speak uh even a little bit subconsciously no totally I totally see that yes it's one of those – I'm glad you brought that up, Margot, because I think that 
first off, like my relationship is I started watching around the same time, like high school when it first aired. I dropped in every once in a while, watched it pretty consistently early on. I related more to, I was kind of like a half Rory, half Lorelai. Like I wasn't the best student, but I was definitely like more innocent, like Rory in that sense. Um, and then Lorelai just because of like the witty, quick um, sense of humor and uh, just the overall like having fun and knowing these like pop culture references. But to your point, Bargo, you bring up the fact that like the WB at the time, when you guys think about it, I mean, J.J. Abrams was showrunner for Felicity. You had Kevin Williamson, who wrote the screenplay for Scream, uh, who was a showrunner for Dawson's Creek. And then you had the Sherman, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino over at Gilmore Girls. All of these shows were created and ran and were run by some of the biggest names in Hollywood to this day, people who are still making films, who are making shows and have kind of carved out a very distinct voice and opinion. So for being a network that was disguised as having these teen melodramas, um, oftentimes these were written by some really, really talented writers who uh, went on to do well, well for themselves, not to mention, I know problematic in many ways, but Joss Whedon with, with Buffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, they probably got dumped into being like, oh, these are like fluffy teen dramas. And yeah. I also think though, it was very reactionary of the time, right? Like when Dawson's Creek started, when Felicity started, not it's not all about 9-11, but like this is pre-9-11 and, and Gilmore Girls. It premieres mm-hmm. in 2000, October 2000. We're just coming off the heels of the Clinton administration. Like there is a thriving middle class like the world looked very different when these shows were on and it was very different I think to be a teen then and Mm -hmm. I was thinking a little bit about I'd love to hear your perspective on this would Gilmore Girls have worked if there had been like social media and texting cell phones and all that kind of stuff woven into the show no, because I it's also, you know, Emily brought up Joss Whedon earlier. Buffy was also one of my, like my pinnacle shows. I feel like that show also works because there are no cell phones. There is no way you can track her. She's not being recorded. Similarly, like Gilmore Girls, I feel like you, you're you living inside of like a Hallmark movie, but it's not as like cloying and like the dialogue is better. And yes. you completely pop that bubble of illusion the second somebody pulls out a cell phone. It doesn't even matter if it's like a flip phone. The fact that Rory can just walk anywhere she wants day or night and doesn't have to worry about a single thing is part of the fantasy. And in some ways, the way that I feel about Real Housewives where it's like, I want to see the fantasy. I don't want to see my own life. Please get it away from me. Seeing a cell phone in Gilmore Girls, I think, would completely ruin the aspirational and like almost cozy qualities of it. I think one of the key things when it comes to Gilmore Girls' dialogue is that the witty pop culture references that are, you know, sometimes you get them, sometimes they like, you know, go past you and like, but it's it's all done with the, all those references were done because of hard work. Like people saw the cult films, people listened to that music. It wasn't an easily accessible thing through a, st- a streaming platform or um, you know uh, Spotify. Like these were all like cult film movie nights that people you know saw these films. And I feel like that's such an aspect of Stars Hollow. Like they have the small theater where Kirk's showing Eraserhead one time or like. <laughs> Um, Lane is like always talking about these obscure bands from like the 1970s or Jess will bring in like another obscure like that's half of the fun is that they are 
introducing one another, the characters, mm. to these important cult classics, be it in film, TV, um, music, what have you. And the element of not having the internet or phones present makes it what it is, which is like so integral to the plot. Yeah, I think it's that feeling of um, it's it's a little bit removed from reality. Like they're just relatable enough. It's just sort of like small towny relatable enough that you could see yourself living there. But, you know, you know, it's it's so it's like a completely isolated event. Like there's no way that this would really be real. But the people feel real. So you kind of you suspend your disbelief, right? And I think that cell phones would would pierce that. And I think that for the same reasons that Gilmore Girls is great because there is no social media is like why euphoria makes a ton of sense, why it's shaped the way that it the way that is and the way that they live their lives. That's so authentic to those characters' experiences. And it's a reflection of, to Meredith's point, original point, which is like it's a reflection of the time. Right. And I love euphoria. I like yeah. I absolutely love it. And what I would say is so interesting is I was thinking about this earlier today. I think a lot of shows have tried to duplicate the whole Gilmore Girls thing. I would say there was um, there's that Sweet Magnolias, which I don't oh, even know if they yeah. I don't even know if they let people film that anymore because it's like Jamie Lynn Spears can't even leave her house. I know. There's that, I know. Ginny and Georgia. Yes. There oh, was but then that Ginny one with Georgia- Rachel. Ginny and Georgia got like roasted to hell over that comment about like oppression Olympics. I remember for weeks on Twitter, you could not get away from that meme about how like ridiculous the dialogue was. So they're they're trying to copy it, but because it's like the AI version of it. It's like no wonder it comes out like gobbledygook because like you're not getting it from the source. But sorry. Yes, Ginny and Georgia, definitely one of those like tries. You can see it trying to be a cozy show. Yeah, and I don't think that it really works. And I think that the, you know, I say it's the same. Uh, it's Amy Sherman Palladino or whatever who's on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, right? Mm-hmm, Which like mm-hmm. that show's got some flaws. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that was the natural next step for us as viewers, given the time and the place of where we were at. It's not possible to go back and reinvent what Gilmore Girls did so well. Totally. I mean, that's why I think like the the next chapters were such a flop, you know, for lack of a better term, too, because they were trying to recapture something and live in a time that doesn't exist anymore. And it was like the more that they forced it, the more that it was like, this doesn't feel it doesn't feel right. It's like trying to get back together with an ex after like years and years. You're like, "Mm." I understand like deep down there will always be a thing here, but like it just, it doesn't feel the same. Kind of reminiscent to me of when Rory gets back together with Dean when she's at Yale and he leaves his wife, which like, because I was (laughs) the age that I was, I didn't realize how actually really weird it was that Dean yes. was marrying someone. <laughs> like that was like really weird. And engaged, like. like that was weird. And then, like at the same time, people are like, "Like Dean, how could you cheat on your wife, Rory? How could you sleep with him?" It's like I don't know frontal lobe development. Like they're literally children. Okay, exactly. <laughs> and then they get back together, and then like sure enough, it's like oh wow, I guess our lives are too different. Like 
I, even though I'm not a Dean fan, I do kind of feel like he was like Rory's accessory. And it was like, well, he's not going to go to college. He's just going to keep working at the grocery store. Yeah. That's I mean, I think that's how he's always been introduced is like, oh, like a himbo, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's and he's to be seen and not heard. <laughs> and I respect the show for treating a man like that. But I did feel bad for him in the end. But also, you know, it wasn't like you said, at the same time, it's wild now to be like, wow, 18 year olds getting married. That's a terrible idea. But because you probably had at least you or knew one or two people that did that immediately after high school, you're like, oh, they're just they're just one of those people that got married almost immediately. <laughs> for not a religious reason interesting very interesting there was we just hit on a bunch of um things that lead me into the next question i have for you all which is like there is some there are some things about this show that age fairly well and there are other things that feel pretty outdated and would not be a plot line if well one we we all agree gilmore girls would not air in 2023 but if it were to air of some variation like what else feels pretty outdated or just like would not exist as is that's a great question i mean i don't know maybe rory's lack of respect for a public education i'm just kidding like (laughs) you couldn't have taken a couple of ap classes (laughs) there's definitely nothing wrong with public school you know and and uh, quite the opposite. Like she had, uh, I wouldn't say idyllic private school situation, but I'm just saying no, that was no euphoria high private school. Like that, uh, what I've heard of private school is a little bit more like raunchy than like what she was going for. So I just found her experience to maybe not be true to life, but it's true to Rory's life. That's so true. There's just like, there's just not enough drugs at this private right? school. <laughs> like I know it's and- Connecticut, but come on. <laughs> Like she was still dealing with like a like it did seem though like emotional warfare to be going to that school. Like I yeah. see how, how did we not have like a whole like three or four season plot line where Rory's like, I'm going back to like my small Connecticut high school or whatever. Like, you know, wouldn't she have like like played with that idea at least? And then it was kind of like everybody who was lesser than Rory had to go to the public high school. <laughs> I know. I this is where I feel like the character of Lane gets really shafted on the show. Yes. Um, and and while I love Paris and she should have been gay, this is that would have been my comment by the way of like if this show aired in 2023, like the Paris would have been gay, like let's be honest. Um but uh Lane gets so shafted because she is, you know, well, back meanwhile, back in Stars Hollow, hi, you know, like <laughs> and because she's not dating Rory, you can tell that there's like limited screen time and the Sherman Palladinos are kind of determining like who is going to get more airtime. And it tends to lean, especially in the college years, which makes sense towards Paris. But yeah, I feel like everybody who's Rory's age on the Stars Hollow side of the world kind of gets shafted in plot lines. And not to say you have to go to college. That's not what I mean. But it just feels like Dean is left to be living this life that he'll continue to live. And while Lane has the band and eventually meets her husband, like, I just feel like there are times where that plot line uh, doesn't get explored as much as it should. No, I totally agree. I always loved Lane and always felt like she was like a C or D plot character when she really should have been. And like, at least the B's like, I thought that, you know, she was Rory's best friend and. 
again, in rewatching the pilot, I forgot that like Lane's mom doesn't really necessarily even like her. And I think that that's funny. And and I can't believe also that we don't we don't really have like um, to go back to plot lines that we're missing. I can't believe we don't have like an anti-bullying plot line in all of Gilmore Girls for some reason. <laughs> like there's plenty of it going around at both schools. And I'm not saying because Lizzie McGuire did it that you guys have to do it. But I'm just, you know, I'm just out, out here asking questions about like why it wasn't included, especially time and place. There were so many anti-bullying uh, like PSAs going around and then conversely, like don't do drug ones. So how those didn't really seep in is maybe just like a testament to Amy Sherman Palandino and like her vision because clearly she made the choices of like, oh, I don't think that lane's that important to the plot. Like it's really like about Lorelai and Rory. And if Rory is more focused on going to private school and meeting boys, then yeah, maybe we don't have as much of a focus on Lane because it's not about them being best friends. But kind of feel like that was a missed opportunity to not use her more. Are there any other kind of things that we feel would not work in this show in 2023? Well, here's what I'll say. I was thinking about this earlier. At the time, I think it felt like, oh, my God, you have to ask your parents for help with money. Like, that's a big deal. And I think now, if you showed this, I mean, aside from the fact that like Meredith is a television show, it's not real life. I think if you showed this show to someone who would be like the target demographic, like 14 years old, or maybe a little younger, maybe like 12, right? If you showed them this show now, they'd be like, how did that single mom who like works at the inn that doesn't make a lot of money get that house? (laughs) Like, yes, that was a cute house. Yes. No, I constantly, yes. (laughs) How does anyone survive without like their grandparents helping them go to private school? So I think like it was also very reactionary of the economy. It was like, oh, she has to ask her wealthy parents. And it's like, you know, she was able to bootstrap herself up. Like it's, that's not really possible. No. Anymore. Yeah. I think if you showed this to somebody now who had never heard of it and didn't know anything about it they'd just be like oh like she's like a nepo baby like i just feel like that would be the reaction people would have like it's not that strange and to your point meredith yeah i never even questioned why she lived in a nice house i just thought oh like she must be raking it in at the inn or something or maybe it was like left to her but i mean similarly like a lot of sitcoms in the 90s and 2000s like just had these enormous places too where no one questioned why uh a, a magazine, like a, an associate magazine editor can afford to live in like a brownstone. So I guess it wasn't that strange. But like I said, the reveal of her parents being rich was just like, I feel misled. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think doesn't work? Like what are what are your things? Uh, for or me, work? I mean, I think I mentioned it earlier, which is like Paris and I would say Michelle as well. I mean, they 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 fixed this in the revival where Michelle alludes to having a has a husband and all this. But there were several characters who were coded gay on this show, but never outright in the original airing. And part of that is because of the times like that. Just you just didn't have that many LGBTQ characters unless the show was focal point was about LGBTQ characters. And usually it wasn't network TV. Um And I think the other thing is just um, the overall cast and kind of lack of diversity. You have a few characters who are people of color, but ultimately it is a predominantly white cast. And I think that 
Um, in some ways, this is what Janine Georgia was trying to do is like, let's be like Gilmore Girls, but to let's do oppression Olympics and let's be as diverse as we can be and try to hit every single plot line that Gilmore Girls tried to shit like shun of the world from because life is real and STDs are real. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it, 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 it kind of and and. Not that, you know, we need to course correct a show that aired 20 something years ago. That's why we have new shows now that can help right those wrongs. But yeah, I think that in looking back on this, there's a a lot in that sense of how some of the characters were written and the people, you know, the predominantly white cast where people I think would reconsider. But at the same time, this does do a lot of work about, you know, looking at white privilege. It, It doesn't talk about it outright um but the fact of the matter is like Lorelai is a great example of that and just someone who while she made this big deal about striking out on her own when she was 16 and working her way up ultimately she does have a nest whether you know she likes to admit it or not and I think that's for me as an adult watching this like while I know these days it's very common if your parents do have some sort of money that they would help an adult child with something like it happens because of this terrible economy and like the head start people just don't have. Um, it is interesting to see how like begrudgingly she's just like, Ugh, my terrible parents, I have to go have dinner with them every week. However, will I get over this? Um, but yeah, it's just, there's, there's a lot that I love about the show. And then there's so much that after a while, I find that I have to turn off after a few episodes because I just get so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it gets in your head. Like, I yes. feel like this is a show, if you watch it, you can end up sort of speaking like it and picking mm-hmm. up on the dialect. But it's interesting that you say this because I was wondering, would this show have worked if Lorelai had not been a young mom? Like, it had it... Like, if she was, whatever, like, in her 40s and asking her parents for money? Yeah, like, so for, or or not just that, but also, like, I think that when I watched that show, I had no clue that she was supposed to be 32 years old. Right. We're all, I'm older than her now. Same. Right? Same. I watched it and was like, yeah, she's like a mom age. Like, I never really could fully, I think, comprehend, like, oh, she was a 16-year-old with a baby. Like, that's because, like, I think I don't know that I totally understood the concept at that point, because I wasn't even 16, of, like, what being a teen parent would be like. Yeah. It also predates 16 and pregnant, or, you know, if you ever watched uh, Kristen Dunst's 15 and pregnant on Lifetime, and I mean, that movie scared the shit out of me. But oh, it, yeah. but the show predates all of that stuff, um, or at least predates my exposure to that Kristen Dunst movie, because I feel like they aired it more when 16 and pregnant comes on. So how would you, as like a 12 or 13 year old, even begin to like wrap your mind around like, oh, yes. somebody that's three or four years older than me can have a baby and like be a parent at my age or at an age that is not far off from my own. So I, I remember her being like a young mom, but truly shocking to like look it up years later and be like, she's 32. I'm like, she's what now? (laughs) She's old. (laughs) And I think that, you know, it, I think here's my thought process around why they made her 32. I think they made her 32 so she could still be hot. (laughs) Of course. You can hear the WB exec now being like, 
well, you know, she's got she can't be like too young because that's weird. But she also can't be like completely unfuckable. So we got to go like early 30s because it's almost close to 20s, which we all yes. know that after a woman turns 32, she passes away. So <laughs> I, this, you're listening to ghosts currently. <laughs> this, this is such a common theme with all of these shows, which is the actors cast. Even when it wasn't a teen pregnancy situation, the actors cast of the parents are oftentimes... 10 years older than the actors playing the teenagers. Like I think back to the OC and Marissa's mom, I forget the actress, but she was only like 31, 32 playing the mother of a teenager. And uh, it's, you know, that's just such such a common pattern. I think the dynamic of the friends, are they mother, daughter, or are they best friends? Doesn't work. If Lorelai isn't a teen mom that like the being close in age and having the pop culture references and still being like, oh, we borrow each other's clothes. Oh, we borrow each other's lip glosses. And like, that's where I think it works. The dynamic works for Gilmore Girls. And I don't think it would work if she were older. Well, yeah, they they wanted, I mean, the theme that they hammer home is them like growing up together and seeing Rory, a.k.a. Lorelai Jr., kind of like take a very different path than her own mother, but both of their paths and end, end up where they're supposed to be, et cetera. But I do think that like um, them who's raising who I think is like a big thing that they like to play upon as well. Like, I mean, to Meredith's point earlier about like everybody's down here and like Rory's way up here. Like everybody's a fucking loser compared to Rory. I'm like, how does everybody like not just like kill themselves in this town? Cause like, if you're not Rory, then like, what are you even doing with your life? Like even Sookie, who's like a great chef. Although in the pilot, they make her like so comically clumsy, like to the point where you're like, there is literally no way that this would be happening in like real reality. I'm glad that they toned it down. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As time went on, but like even Sookie, she's just like, oh, all hail like Queen Rory. It's just sometimes it's like more. I think I feel like it's louder now. But when you're a teen, you're like, yeah, you should listen to me because like I'm smart and I have better ideas and you're old and on the way out. I love that. That's so true. I mean, you have to give them credit. They were really writing this show for people at, at like at that development stage in their mm-hmm. lives, right? So that's brilliant. But there is something I think so aesthetically pleasing about this show and there you add in the pop culture references that you actually end up attracting a little bit of of an additional audience. Like Margot and I were saying, like my mom was not 
13, but she was like enjoying this show. And why is that? Because there was just enough, I think, coded for a different generation. Yeah, it was sort of um, very Toy Story-esque in a way, because I feel like Toy Story was like one of the first movies I remember my mom being like, wow, they like, they thought about not just you guys, <laughs> so I could watch this and not be like, this sounds like absolute, it doesn't mean anything to my ears when I, when I hear it. And I, and I think that Gilmore Girls did a great job of writing, splitting the difference a little bit and trying to make it appealing. Because I think they saw the appeal in mothers and daughters watching it together and also like girlfriends watching it together at like a slumber party. And there's, I think the, the funny thing about this show is that it does in a lot of way, like it's that coziness that you want, like in the fall and you know that it has problems. It's like sort of like family. It's like, you know, it has problems, but you remember it through like this very like Vaseline lens. You're like, how bad could it be? And then you get six episodes and you're like, never mind. I got to turn this off before <laughs> I, I lose my off. mind. <laughs> you guys, we just talked a lot about um, Lorelai and Rory's relationship and dynamic. Um, I want to bring it to the other mother-daughter relationship that this show kind of quietly brings into play more and more, which is the dynamic between Emily and Lorelai. Um, in re-watching episodes, what feels realistic and, and unrealistic about the portrayal of that relationship through its good points and bad points? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that the show got right about that relationship. Like, there's a lot of subtle judgment. There are a lot, there's a lot of tension. Uh, I And I can see it from both perspectives of people. That's what's so interesting is like, neither one of them is coded as all bad or all good. Like, they both made really, I think they both made choices that were hurtful for one another. Now, I would argue that Emily Gilmore is worse because she was the parent and the adult and made choices or tried to force choices that were not okay onto Lorelai. But at the same time, Lorelai becomes an adult and then sort of takes back that power by like withholding information or, you know, I don't know. So it's, it's, yeah. What about you? What do you think? Yeah. I, I think one of the things for me is that, there's so I think the tumultuousness and the nuance between mothers and daughters almost gets played out in some ways more realistically with Emily and Lorelai because while Lorelai and Rory have moments where they don't get along and aren't speaking, I think it's a very different dynamic than um, and one that requires the barrier to entry of being that Lorelai was a child essentially when she gave birth to Rory, whereas. Emily was an adult woman when she gave birth to Lorelai. And I think in many ways, the relationship there becomes more realistic. I, What's interesting and what I love about this show in many ways is I, you start out by thinking Emily is this, you know, mean character. And yes, when she, when Lorelai was 16, she did some pretty terrible things to her daughter. Um, but over time you, you get to learn the context and the background of Emily's character why she is the way she is, the choices she's made and why she and and the way she reacts like to these things and her pride and that kind of thing that she becomes to me one of the most interesting characters on the show. Um, I think their dynamic is the most 
fascinating and rich to look at separately uh, apart from the show. I feel like it's its own Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf like drama unfolding and happening subtly. And I just want to echo how how much more realistic their relationship I feel like is and like almost relatable as well in some ways too about how eventually you have to see your parents as just people and I don't really know if we get that lesson necessarily between Rory and Lorelai but we do get it between Lorelai and Emily and I think that that's the the most valuable adult human lesson you could take from like a show um and I just think that they do such a good job with their whole dynamic from moment one you can just tell there is 10 15 20 years of unspoken resentment between the two of them and it's truly like a three-minute conversation that they have uh, where Lorelai just agrees to like come to dinner once a week if they'll help with Rory's tuition. And But you can just feel how much tension there is in that room. And I think that's like a huge, um, a huge tribute to both like Lauren Graham and I forget the actress who plays um, Emily's oh, Kelly name. Bishop. Yeah. I just think that they also have incredible chemistry together. I agree with that. I think that Kelly Bishop is really ta- a really talented actor yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And I also think there is an interesting dynamic between – Rory and Emily in that I of course like Lorelai loves Rory but sometimes it does feel a little conditional mm-hmm. and Emily loves Rory like un like in a way that's like problematically unconditional like yes. like Rory yeah. could like commit murder and her grandparents would have been like well kiddo <laughs> <laughs> made a mistake. Like, and I do think that's reminiscent of I didn't have that relationship with a grandparent, but I do think that's reminiscent of how a lot of people have relationships with grandparents. Maybe unconditional isn't the right word, but like they basically look the other way at like all her shitty qualities. Yeah. The last, I mean, the last episodes where it's like she quits Yale and goes and joins the DAR with her, like it's just the weirdest. And they're fully supportive. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's they just see Rory as their do-over and everything that they got wrong with Lorelai, they can then now try to correct with Rory. And, you know, my mom and her mom did not have a close relationship, but me and my grandma were very close. And so I, I see a lot of like reflection in like, I just think that, you know, the more you think you're different, the more the same you are with and a lot of people share the same story. And so I always found those relationship dynamics to be really interesting. And I think that they really just, especially Emily, put all of her hopes and dreams on Rory to carry this family because she knew she could take the pressure. And I don't think that she trusts Lorelai to be that responsible and shoulder the pressure as well. I, and I always found and they and they all three of them know that, but they never say it to each other again, just like perfect chef's kiss of mother daughter grandmother relationships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um we talked about the familial relationships and we briefly talked about Dean but I want to go back to the boyfriends. So there's the three main ones. There's there's Dean, there's Jess and there's Logan. Um I'd love to know what team are you on? Uh and you can be team none of these men. Uh, that's a very viable option. Um and uh, you know, let's let's just talk a little bit about these men. Uh, would anyone like to start? Margo, do you want to start? I, I feel like team is like such a strong word to be using. I know. I know. 
But I would say I'm not team no one. I mean, I think he's bad, but but you know, I've had a crush on Milo Ventimiglia for so long, and it's because I know and it's because yep. of Jess. And so yep. unfortunately, I'm gonna have to say team Jess like reluctantly and like with an asterisk. Like I stand no man and need everyone to know that. Like I would not defend him, but like if I had to pick, it's gotta be my guy. Dean is a sweet little himbo, but like they have nothing in common, and I never liked Logan. How about you, Mary? I curse the day Logan was born. I <laughs> cannot stand Logan. I think yeah. that's when the show jumped the shark is when mm-hmm. they brought Logan in because it took away from like Rory being divided from like the fanciness because even though Paris was like really wealthy and like, you know, obviously had like a lot of connections, she was such a weirdo that it didn't matter, right? Like yeah. it didn't. Totally. And I mean totally. that in a really loving way. Like she totally. was neurotic. To have it yes. be like, oh, well, Paris like could have gotten invited to all the same stuff that Logan was getting invited to. But she was like too unhinged to care. <laughs> so as soon as we took away that barrier, Rory became too enmeshed in her grandparents' world, which is like exactly mm. everything that Laura Lai rejected. And like it was gone. So I can't stand Logan. Dean, I don't know where he was on January 6th. That's what I'll say about that. Okay. I mean, Yeah. Okay, Dean, like, remember the episode where he, like, makes Rory do, like, be almost like June Cleaver? Yes. 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 Because he's like, oh, it's nice to have a woman cook for you and stuff. And so she she dresses up like June Cleaver and they have, like, a night together. Yeah, it's he I agree with you. I mean, like, I think all the above, like, where was he on January 6th? Um, you know, what webs what Reddit threads is he subscribed to? You know, like all the mm-hmm. all the is above. he in this is he in the same men's rights group uh Reddit threads as Cody Brown? We don't know. Okay, here's what I would say though. Dean is so dumb. I don't think that he and listen, I don't mean to like I'm not smart at everything, but like he, do you really think that he would be able to be on a computer in a way that would allow him no. to like figure out Reddit? He would be on Facebook. Yes. And he would have like an American flag profile picture and it would be like, yep, my pronouns are God bless America, which I love when people say that because I'm always like, okay, so like, that's what you want me to call you? Yeah. But God, <laughs> God I think that uh, God bless America is over there. Uh, but I, so yes, I would also say team Jess and I was looking through like a little bit of doing a little bit of research on this. And one of the, like, I, we have to admit, Jess comes back into Rory's life and he's an upgraded version of Jess. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I love that. But I was reading like how what ends it between him and Rory in the beginning is because he's like pressuring her to have sex. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like that's that, that I don't think they would do that now. I don't think they would like no. do a plot line of pressuring for sex and then Dean breaks it up because, of course, like the man has to save the day. Um so yeah, I, I'm also going to reluctantly say Team Jess. Yeah, she she needed like another boyfriend on that show. Like they really yeah, that was that's your holy trinity. I know. They're what about they're you? All, no, they're all terrible to a certain degree. But yeah, the le- <laughs> lesser of all, the least of all evils is Jess in this case. And while I think what I appreciate about the Jess character is there is that showing you you see the growth in that character over time. 
Um, whereas Dean becomes the friend over time. And that's, that's nice in its own way. I think that Jess's character grows up over time. Um, I also wonder if like the portrayal would have been different had, I think you, some of you may know this, like one of the season finales is a backdoor plot episode to what was supposed to be a spinoff for Jess's character, like spending time with his dad and his new family in California and it didn't get picked up. So um, there is that like first time that Jess exits the show is because they were trying to set this up and it didn't get picked up by the WB um, or CW maybe at that point. But anyway, like, yeah, I know. I, it was one of those things that I remember reading about. Um, but yeah. Was it was it an Amy Sherman Palladino show? Like It would she- have been an oh. Amy Sherman. Yeah. So it's like wow. this. I think it was, and and it's like you meet the, um, you get to meet Jess's dad, or we've met Jess's dad already, but he goes and lives with his dad in California, and his new wife is played by Sherilyn Fenn, like Audrey from um, Twin Peaks, and he has like a stepsister, and yeah, the show didn't get picked up, but yeah, there's this whole episode of Gilmore Girls, I think it's one of like, it's either season three or season four finale, I think, where Jess goes to California and that served as a was supposed to serve as a backdoor plot hmm. to a new uh, spinoff show that they were going to do that ultimately didn't get picked up. Fascinating. They were like, we already have the OC. Yeah, exactly. Like it just, <laughs> I think that's, this was the W, I think this is supposed to be the W's B's foray into the California shows um, of, the, of the time, uh, but it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, I think that's, Jess has afforded the ability to grow on that show, which I appreciate. And I think like realistically, he's the only one who tends to call Rory out on her bullshit, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Like when she quits, when she drops out of Yale, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, and that is for me, the one voice of reason in the room is, is Jess. And so I think that's why I do not, there are things he does that are terrible throughout the show. Um, ultimately, I think he is the best of all the boyfriends. Typical yeah. men that it's like I know. all three of the selections suck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in a show where there's like so many cool women, right? Like, yeah. and I wouldn't even totally put Rory in that grouping, but like, you know, there's Miss but, Patty. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, Lane, yeah. Lane's in there. Lane's cool. Yes. I <laughs> yeah. would even put Emily in there. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's got stories, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. But I, yeah, it, I agree. It's, it's like three lame men and a bunch of cool women is going to be the title of my memoir. Like, it's just like, it's so true to life the, all the time. Uh, and it's true to Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I, the only interesting men on that show are the town eccentrics. So it's like Kirk and Taylor. Oh, Kirk. <laughs> uh, like, these are these are the most interesting. And Michelle, like, these are the most interesting men on the show. Because like, Luke just gets so annoying and curmudgeon for a while. I'm just like, okay, we get it. You're pissed. You're angry. You don't want cell phones in your diner. Okay, goodbye. Like, And you're still uh, in love with Lorelai. But that character just becomes such a one-trick pony. And like, um, the my always my frustration with Gilmore Girls is the ho- whole show would be two seconds long if people didn't keep secrets from one another. That is the entire <laughs> show in a nutshell. It's just people keeping secrets from one another and what happens as a result of that. Um, and Luke is no exception to that. So ultimately to me, the most ex- interesting male characters on that show are almost always like uh, C plot, D plot male characters in the, in the town. Well, I okay, love that. Who- oh, you go. 
I just love that Michelle that they coded as gay is that was like back in a time when like if you were coded as gay you were just like French which I had completely forgotten about that trope um so that's always a fun <laughs> reminder but Meredith I was going to ask you what you thought about Luke because I I kind of had a soft spot for his curmudgeonly behavior I uh, watching it like when it aired in real time but then in going back to it I was like why is he so mean and rude constantly it's just sort of the shtick wears thin uh, faster currently than it did at the time. But I, I'd be curious to know what you think about Luke and his behavior. I think Luke is smart enough to figure out how to get onto the Reddit message boards. That's what I'd say. <laughs> Are you also <laughs> asking where he was on January 6th? Yes. Love it. He's got the flannel to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and he drives a truck. So Here's the thing. I like Luke because I think he has a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I can kind of go with anybody who has a heart of gold. And I think he's a hard worker. He really does love Lorelai with all her flaws. And to be honest with you, she like kind of dicks him around and he puts up. Totally. Yeah, totally. I I, like, even though I do think like now, I think it would wear really thin of like the angry, annoyed white guy who runs the diner. But at the same time, having a, you know, small business in any economy isn't easy. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Well, I mean, restaurants closing left and right. You got to like put your foot down somewhere, I suppose, if you want to be a long lasting institution. (laughs) So here's my question for both of you. If you could give a spinoff, if you could have a backdoor plot for someone on Gilmore Girls, who would it be? And like, what would the plot be? Young Emily. That's what I would want. It would be about Emily before she gets married, like just her life leading up to when she meets her husband. And um, I would just love to see a young Emily spinoff. I think that would be great. She's such a fascinating character. And then we could even go back and see what Emily's relationship with her mother was like, because I can't imagine that that wasn't not fraught. Um, You don't just like suddenly treat your she had this modeled for her is what I'm trying to say. So I'd be very curious to see all of that. Um, And just. I don't know. I kind of imagine it to be a little bit like uh, she she sees a lot of Roy in herself. So I imagine she's got some of those qualities, but maybe I would love to see her try to be like a debutante. It, I just find her to be so endlessly fascinating. So that I, a young Emily spinoff is my choice. Em? Oh, yeah. This is so good. I For me, it's that Lane leaves Stars Hollow and mm. goes, in, you know, with a band somewhere else. And mm. it's her her life with, you know, moving to New York or somewhere else and like really living this rich life as a musician. How about you, Meredith? Yeah. I think it could be really interesting for about a show about young Michelle. Oh, oh yes. Yes. I mean, he's in almost France. Almost like a young Sheldon. Right. He's in France. He's growing <laughs> up. He's learning. Like, he's just – and then he comes to the U.S. and he's, like, absolutely horrified. <laughs> like, just what it's like. And he ends up in this podunk Connecticut town. And I don't know. I could have done I could have done more on him. Or, you know, Taylor, honestly, would be also be kind of interesting. Okay. Like, what was Taylor like as, a, as like, a 20-year-old? Which I can't imagine. I just think he was born 45 or 50. <laughs> like, true. it's just. <laughs> so, basically, I think we just take off the leads. And we just do a show. <laughs> around all we make everybody people. younger. Yeah. And then we explore like the joint, the three converging plot lines coming to Stars Hollow and how they all ended up there. I'm in. I'm Love down. That. 
I'm so on board. (laughs) Um, We are going to end things pretty soon, but I just wanted to ask you two final questions. So one of them is just about the revival. Did you guys watch it? Um, And do you have any thoughts about it? I did watch it. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was the worst. Like, here's the thing. I talked to my sister about this the other day. I was like, what is a show that you love so much you'd love to have a revival of? And I've had a couple shows do that, like Arrested Development. And it's like never as good. And so I just think that like, I actually think the Gilmore Girls one was not as bad as a lot of these revival shows have been. So like credit where credit's due. I didn't think it was terrible. And it only solidified to me that like Rory is just such a pain in the ass. And this show will never have a quest, have a conversation about, you know, women's reproductive rights. (laughs) (laughs) You do have an option, girl. (laughs) How about you, Margot? I didn't watch it because everybody scared me off by how terrible it was. Everybody I knew that loved Gilmore Girls when we were younger absolutely panned it, had not one nice thing to say about it. And when I did put it on like on a plane or something, I either fell asleep or got distracted on my phone because like it was like maybe five or 10 minutes. And I was like, you know what, maybe some other time when I'm more in the mood and I never came back to it. So yeah, Yeah. watch it. Emily, did you watch it? I did watch it, and uh, I felt like you, Meredith, you know, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world. Um, I do think it solidified my dislike for Rory Gilmore, um, but I there are far worse revivals, including Arrested Development. There's just so many. I mean, it came out during a time where every other network TV show of the last 30 years was getting a revival because this was like Will and Grace, Murphy Brown, like every left and right, everybody was getting a revival. And so it just felt like it may at the time I appreciate what I do appreciate about it is it packaged it into four episodes and it didn't try to bring it back with several seasons. And I think in some ways it saves face, even with the things that are not great about it, it saves a lot of face by having packaged itself up in this nice, neat way. Um, that being said, if they ever try to revisit Gilmore Girls again, I don't know. It, like that, <laughs> that just taints it taints the brand a bit more for me. <laughs> Fair enough. So the last thing I want to ask you both is why is the show still so popular almost 25 years later? It it aired in October of 2000. We're talking 23 years later about Gilmore Girls. Such a good question. And I think that relationships even though so much has changed like a lot of the things that we see in relationships on that show have stayed the same and so you see some really interesting dynamic family relationships playing out and i think those are things that draw people in right people see themselves like we all saw ourselves in some of these characters right me mostly kirk but like i (laughs) think that's what it is and i also think and this is like not to get up on my soapbox, like we're just not making shows like we used to, right? Like, and this has to do, you know, we are still in the midst of a, of a strike and we just finished the WGA strike. So it's like, I don't think that we are cranking out shows like this anymore that are of this quality. Like you mentioned Mad Men. I have not watched anything as good as Mad Men in years. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, looking at the looking at 22 episodes, I don't know why I'm like, I forget that we had like full 
arcs, that things don't get like wrapped up in like six episodes and it feels unsatisfying. I think the quality of storytelling, it's it is timeless, even if we did feel like there were some things that were maybe outdated or wouldn't necessarily play as well or as naturally in 2023. Um, And I also think that especially after the pandemic, how unpredictable and scary everything always feels all of the time, not to, you know, speak Mm -hmm. in broad stroke terminology about the news, but I think that people really crave a predictability, a security, uh, something that you know is going to make you laugh, isn't going to challenge you. Not like there's anything wrong with something that doesn't challenge you. You just want to, you want to know what you're getting and you know what you're getting into when you're going to Stars Hollow. And I think that that's why this show is like such an enduring classic, even if, you know, after if you binge watch it, you kind of feel a little bit crazy. So like, I think that that's, that's sort of part of the charm of it. And I also think the caliber of acting and writing and directing and set deck, all of that, you just don't get that level of quality to Meredith's point of just like, of it being, it's like a show that, you know, everybody who worked on it really deeply cared about it. Yeah. I think it's, um, it also represents a show that works for different viewers of different generations. Um, I think that you see that more in film. You brought up Toy Story earlier, and it's true. Like Pixar has done this really well. I think kids' movies in general, like the gen, um, I think Disney and a couple of other studios are doing a really good job of creating content out there that isn't just meant for kids, but can be enjoyed by parents and has like a good plot line. Um, but in terms of like teen teen TV shows, you just to that you don't have that level of quality but you also just don't have shows they're very much meant it feels like for two different audiences it's either the teenagers or it's a show that's meant for adults to think that they're watching something realistic about teenagers that mm-hmm. is not realistic at all um and i don't think those two audiences get married or get to 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 be in the same room often anymore yeah that's so true because i think that executives really don't view viewers as like having personalities or preferences. They just view you as like, oh, you're either going to like it or you're not. You're either going to love euphoria because it's all about drugs and that's what the kids do. It's like, <laughs> I have only been offered hard drugs twice. Okay, you guys, I'm not that cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh-huh. the, the closest we get to like <laughs> – monoculture of what people are watching is like literally the bear you know and i don't really know anybody that like can deeply relate and or well not deeply relate because the episode where all of the the machine goes insane and it spits out a bunch of receipts sent my husband into like a ptsd like trauma from work but like um it's not a show that you can relax into right like it doesn't feel good like i don't want to get yelled at by joel McHale. like so i don't really know what we've got to do here but that's like a kink so yeah i'm sure like someone wants it but i'm too fragile right now to take it so they get it's fair enough it's not a comfort show is what no no yeah but but to Meredith's point it's like execs just see you as an algorithm or like a number or whatever or someone that they're trying to market to and so they don't really see the value in like everybody has such individualistic um taste because you don't have to listen to or watch anything you don't want to because you can just watch something else on your phone or on your laptop or whatever. And I think that that's great. But also they're not speaking to people um, in a blended family situation anymore because they don't have to because everybody's 
watching something else. So you either get mm. like a adult's idea of what high school is like right now or you get Paw Patrol and like there is no in between. You know, we're not doing <laughs> yeah. Paw Patrol comes to euphoria. Like, although that would be really funny. <laughs> it's, it's Spoiler alert, they're the drug sniffing dogs. Like <laughs> I knew it. The ACAB, those freaking little dogs. <laughs> Oh my God. This has been such a fun conversation. Uh, we had a great so time. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Meredith. We cannot say enough good things. Um, Meredith, we love to do this with our um, guests ho- um, on our show. If you have anything you'd like to plug, like feel free to share with our audience. Yeah, thank you. So I am Meredith M. Lynch on Instagram and TikTok. You can find me there. I also have a Patreon. And if you're in the LA area, November 29th, I am performing at The Crow in Santa Monica. So I'd love to see you there. I'm going to do a whole set on Rachel Zoe. So I know everyone's been waiting for that. (laughs) Oh, man. We've never done the Zoe report on this show, Margo. We should talk about it. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on for that. Oh, she's very litigious. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no, no. Now I just talk. Now I talk so much shit about her. She did try to sue me. (laughs) That's a fun little uh, about me for your LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now we're turning uh, lemons into lemonade and I'm I'm working on a set about it, which it's it's coming together. (laughs) Well, Please, LA listeners, if you are around on the 29th, go check out Meredith's show. Um, I would certainly love to be able to do that. So uh, we'll definitely have to make sure next time you have a show in LA, like maybe we'll we'll our paths will collide and Margo and I will happen to be in town. Um, love since we're that. just in the Bay Area, right not too far away. Would love it. It's a woman-owned comedy club and focus oh, on fun. women and queer and people of color are the main performers. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a blast. It was so good to talk about Gilmore Girls. I feel a weight has been lifted. (laughs) I know. I know. We all processed it together. And Mm -hmm. now take a deep breath. Release. We want to thank everyone for joining us again on our show. Um, As always, you can find us wherever you stream podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, whatever some of these. Everyone's getting acquired these days. So some of the podcast platforms we've talked about before no longer exist. But really, wherever you listen to a podcast, you can find us. And while you're there, if you happen to have a way to leave a rating and review, we always appreciate those. And we love hearing uh, from all of you all the great feedback. Um, you can also find us on social media at the old millennials pod on Instagram and Facebook. And until next time we say bye-bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.